Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. We've been away for quite a while, but season three of Is It Worth It is about to begin. And to kick things off, we've decided to give you a bonus episode with each of our top 10 films of 2019 thus far. It's been a mega year with Disney dominating the box office with everything from Marvel to Disney live action remakes. We're into the month of August and the cinema season is really about to start hotting up with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming out on August the 14th and Martin Scorsese releasing a teaser of his long-awaited Netflix film, The Irishman, starring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci. I've got to say, Craig, I am really, really looking forward to that one. So, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax and enjoy this bonus episode of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. That's right, it is the bonus episode where we have a look at our favourite films of 2019 so far. My name is David Long and this is... Craig Fields. And it is fantastic to be back. Welcome back. This is not the start of season three. This is a bit of a bonus episode, but season three will be coming out soon. And I'm really, really excited to be back in your ears, telling you about all the films we've been seeing and whether they're worth it or not. There is going to be a slight change to the format of the podcast... Um, it was becoming incredibly difficult for both of us to see all of the films, including the bad ones, so you didn't have to. So what we're going to be doing now is we're still going to be seeing as many films as possible, but the main aim of the podcast will be to let you know what is worth seeing in the cinema. So every week or every fortnight, we're going to be telling you what our favourite films were and why, what to uh, go and see and what also to try and avoid. Indeed. Uh, So to kick us off with this bonus episode, we're going to start off at number 10 of Mm. our top 10 films of 2019. And I think, David, you're going to come in first. Yes, and the first thing to say is that neither me or Craig know what the other person has selected in their top 10 films. And it would appear that neither do I because my iPad has gone mad, but I can remember uh, (laughs) off the top of my head what it was. And it's The Lion King. Ooh. Uh, And I'll tell you why I've thrown this in at number 10 is I was really, really not looking forward to seeing this because I thought it was going to be very, very bad. Um, But it wasn't. I didn't think it was bad. I thought the... The, the visuals of it, the cinematography was stunning, the special effects, it had more of a feel of a David Attenborough documentary than a live-action remake, and compared to the likes of Dumbo and compared to the likes of Aladdin, uh, I thought it was really, really quite good. The critics didn't like it, it got a score on Rotten Tomatoes in around the 50% region, whereas the audience loved it, it got a high 80s. Um, and actually, I've spoken to a lot of people saying, what did you think of The Lion King, what did you think of The Lion King, because I was a little undecided. And everyone I've spoken to has absolutely loved it. James Earl Jones is back. Um, It's something I want to see again. But overall, I think it's done well at the box office. And I think the people involved deserve some credit. Because I think, actually, it can never compare to the original. And also, I was a child when the original came out. And I think that makes a massive, massive difference. Yeah, I I really liked it. I I will say, it hasn't made it into my top ten of Mm. the year so far. Um, John Favreau has done a really good job. He did a great job with Jungle Book um, and recreating that as a live-action film. What didn't sell it to me completely was that uh, it's so hyper-realistic that the voice acting has to be really, really, really good. And it wasn't that great until Timon and Pumbaa come into it. I thought young Simba, yes, he's a child actor, but he didn't give me the emotion that mm. a, 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 that it, it required for that role to, to have. Donald Glover, fantastic job as the older um, uh, Simba. Um, Beyonce, uh, I think she maybe beyonce a bit too much. The, the music was good as well, that the original song good. from her. Um, and I, I do agree. So the problem it had was, like you said, it was so... In the cartoon, you, you had the amazing vocals, but you also had the animation, and you could see emotion, whereas this, it was very hard to give emotion to animals that pretty much looked real, and they had to do mm. that in their voices. And I thought, you're right, I thought Seth Rogen as Pumbaa was brilliantly cast. He was basically just said Seth Rogen, but Seth Rogen is actually just a human warthog, so he was perfectly cast. It missed the likes of Rowan Atkinson. It just yeah. missed... 
missed that little bit of comedy that the original John Oliver had. did do a, a pretty good job. I think mm. he was well cast, but it did miss... Yeah. Mr. Bean. I mean, we never... We, yeah, Mr. Bean, yeah. I mean, we never reviewed this film, but for me, it comes in at number 10 because the audiences have loved it, and it didn't... It didn't ruin the original. Mm. It was if they're going to make these Disney remakes, and we've got the the, the um, Little Mermaid being remade as well. I think there's an element of for the new generation is is it is it worth it? And for yeah, for kids and for adults, I I, I quite enjoyed it, and mm. I think it's a worthy number ten entry for the best films of this year so far. My number ten uh, was Booksmart. Did you see this? Did you end up getting around to seeing it in the end? Remind me of what it. <laughs> Well, it was... okay. well, Olivia Wilde directed it, uh, and it had Amy and Molly, who were these academic overachievers, uh, and on their final day of uh, school freedom, almost, or before the summer break, Mm. they go to college and whatnot, uh, they decide that they need to live their lives a bit because they spent far too much time in school studying, and uh, they have an epic night of uh, debauchery and (laughs) uh, drug-taking and various different things, and it was just hilarious, and Mm. and it was very relatable, lots of different characters in there that weren't so cliché, they were just very um, easy to relate to, and I I felt it was a really, really, really brilliant comedy uh, and coming-of-age film as well, and it, it had a little twist in there that that you know, the, these coming-of-age films need these days because they all seem to be very similar and very mm. samey, and this was not that at all. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. To answer your question, mm. no, I have not seen that, but if it comes in at number 10, I will certainly endeavour to do so. When you said Booksmart, I thought of that one where those um, sort of middle-aged slash elderly ladies read Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, no, not that one. Uh, that was that was 2018. Uh, was it really? It was, Blimey, yeah. time flies. I did enjoy that, though. I thought that was actually a very good film. <laughs> um, well, Booksmart got 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, wow. and it did get raving reviews. Um, but it didn't do so well at the box office, but it, it, it found its audience, definitely, and I think it will do very well when it comes out onto streaming services or DVDs, etc., etc. Number nine, David. Number nine. So my number nine is Captain Marvel. Um, we actually reviewed that on week 31 of the film review podcast, Is It Worth It? March 22nd. So if you do want to hear our full review, that's available on week 31. The reason I've gone for Captain Marvel is because... Marvel needed a powerful, strong female lead, mm. um, and we, we we saw her come in in, in late of Marvel films as well. Uh, and I just really enjoyed this film. There was so much abuse for Brie Larson, and there was so much negativity around this film. Remember, people were roasting it on Rotten Tomatoes before it had even come out. Uh, and actually, look at the audience scores now. The audience gave it a 55% rating, whereas the critics gave it a 78% rating. It's still getting negative reviews, and in the Marvel fan base, it's it's still some people really didn't like it, and I just think that's just blatant sexism, um, which is a real, real shame. Because actually, I thought not only was it a very good film, um, it had a great backstory, there was some really good comedy, and it links in really, really well, actually, with how the Marvel Cinematic Universe progresses. Obviously, having seen Spider-Man: Far From Home, you'll you'll understand. Yeah, it's, what I'm it's saying. It's really there. leading up to a fantastic uh, phase four, which Marvel has yep. revealed a lot of details for, and it's going to be very, very, very cosmic and very exciting. I think. Yeah, so for me, Captain Marvel, Brie Larson was superb. That comes in at number nine. My number nine is Longshot. Uh, this uh, saw Charlize Theron, or Charlize Theron, I can't really... Never, Theron, I think. Theron, uh, and Seth Rogen um, do a, a very good comedy film. And uh, did you catch this one at all? No, I didn't, but... It, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. No, um, I, I haven't seen it, but it, it, it from the trailer, it looked good, and I know when you came out and you saw this, you, you were really, really impressed with it. It, it was a brilliant, brilliant comedy uh, for 2019. It, it really had um, Charlize Theron do a fantastic comedy film, which mm. we don't really is get Is that to Seth see. Rogen as well? And Seth yeah. Rogen, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, you know, Seth Rogen is... Uh, phenomenous with with comedy whereas Charlize Theron isn't and their pairing and their screen presence uh, really worked uh, really well and the chemistry that they had it was just palpable Mm. and it really came across on the screen and and those two people made the film I think if you had two different lead actors in that that role I don't think Longshot would have worked quite as well 
but nonetheless, it, it's made it into my top 10 of the year so far, which obviously means it's very good, and it's uh, number nine. Good stuff. <laughs> uh, for me, at number eight is On the Basis of Sex. Uh, this is a film that we reviewed on week 30, uh, March the 4th. So if you'd like to hear our full, full review, please do go back and listen to that episode. Um, I was really impressed with this film. It starred Felicity Jones, Army Hammer, uh, and Kathy Bates. Uh, and it was a really heavy, gritty um, drama about um, sex sexism, uh, not sex, sorry, <laughs> you can tell where my mind is, about sexism within the law, and not only sexism that discriminates against men, um, but also women, things that, you know, law that discriminates on the basis of sex, and it saw this young female lawyer change the landscape of um, American legal history, really, the way she rose up through the, the legal ranks at a time where women didn't become lawyers. You mm. know, it showed brilliantly this scene where there's a, a lecture at, her, at the law school, I think she went to Harvard, um, and it's just full of men, mostly white men, in suits smoking, and there's just the odd woman in there. Um, and it's it's a really brilliant film. Felicity Jones gives a very powerful performance. Army Hammer's great, and Kathy Bates is in there with a little cameo. She's also very, very good. And what I like about it is I was going in expecting this to be a very preachy film, you know, a sort of a, a very feminist feel, but actually it wasn't because some of the biggest discriminations on the basis of sex were also against men when it came to having children mm. uh, and being able to work and also claim some sort of... Um, tax relief from the government if, you, if you're working two jobs or if you're caring for an elderly person. Very, very smart film, very, very powerful film and a very, very relevant film uh, in the modern political climate. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree, actually. This didn't make it into my top ten and... Sexist. Uh, no, it's not. No, I, I mean, <laughs> uh, the films... I really did carefully think about the films that I really, really enjoyed and had a bit of an impact on me and that's, it had an impact but it didn't... I, uh, cinematically, I don't know whether I enjoyed it as yeah. much as some of the other films on here. And a lot of, more of the films on my list seem to be mm. a bit more maybe groundbreaking, but also... Quirky. Quirky as well, mm. per perhaps. But my number eight, then, is is eighth grade. And yep. this one got 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. It saw Bo Burnham get a, in his directorial debut mm. um, come out with an absolute amazing film and it's and he another won the directorial debut award he, didn't he he did i can't remember for which uh accolade it was um but it wasn't oscars it, it might have been critics choice i think it might because i'm pretty sure bradley cooper was was nominated well he was definitely nominated yeah. and he was expected to win yeah i'm pretty sure it was the critics choice yeah i think you might be right there um, he certainly won a high high level award for a directorial debut over Bradley Cooper. So that obviously says, in the light of the Star Is Born being one of the best films mm -hmm. ever. Um, we didn't get round to actually reviewing this one, but no. it it basically sees uh, Kayla, who is a thirteen year old, basically in her uh, middle school uh, suburban lifestyle, reaching this adolescence, and it's a very very relatable film. No, it doesn't matter that she's a girl at thirteen year old. 13 year, years old it doesn't matter that she's in america in this school everything that happens to her in this film is is relatable and you know it's yeah you know her feeling at 13 year 13 years old is that everything is a disaster and things that you know how is the future going to unfold for her she just doesn't know doesn't understand and she's very wise in some respects for her age and it yeah, it really captured my imagination for the coming-of-age um, sort of genre. And the rest, you know, Booksmart as well is in there. And it, I think I really like coming-of-age films. Mm. I think they're the sort of films that I really, really seem to love. And, yeah, this one made it in there at number eight. Good stuff. Uh, straight on to number seven. Now, number seven for me is, like I said, we don't know what we've, mm. we've picked. It's horrific. Is it? It's very spooky, okay. and one of the both term both in terms of plot, substance, and visuals, one of the most traumatic films I've ever seen in the cinema. Probably gives you a good idea of what it is. Midsummer. I was going to say, um, yeah, or Midsummer, uh, as it as it's spelt. A fairly horrific film. Um, I'm not even going to attempt to tell you what the plot of it is because it's it's very, very complicated. But it's by the same people who brought you Hereditary, which I thought was groundbreaking. It's it's really, really just 
overwhelmingly horrific. Um, I'm sure you'll agree with that, having seen it. It's the kind of film that's Marmite. You'll either love or hate it. And whilst at the, whilst after seeing it, I sort of hated it. It it stuck with me so strongly, and I can still vividly see some of the images yeah. in that film. Florence Pugh's in it, Jack Rayner, um, William Jackson Harper, and Will Poulter as well, who gives a really funny, very laid-back and brilliant performance in this. It's it's basically about a group of people who go to a, a cult um, in Sweden. It was Sweden, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Good, I'm glad I got that right. Um, in the summer, and v- a variety of strange and bizarre things happen, and it is absolutely horrific. It's spine-tinglingly horrible, and I thoroughly recommend watching it. If you, if you, if you liked Hereditary or disliked Hereditary, it's that kind mm. of film. It... It was actually also a bit of a dark comedy as well because there was yeah. some very funny, funny moments, yeah. but very dark and twisted moments within the film. And and for that re- one of those re- that reason, it was brilliant as well. And and visually, as you said, it was stunning. Um, it didn't make it into my top ten because I, I'm not sure why. Actually, um, I think there were just a few other films that I enjoyed more you see i know and also you've seen more films than me uh so far this year yeah maybe. so perhaps why that that's why i didn't get in there my number seven might shock you a little mm. bit it's uh, all is true which we uh reviewed wow. uh, on week 29 with jeff lloyd uh which was on february the 18th 2019 uh this was written uh, the screenplay was written by ben elton directed by kenneth branner who also mm. happens to star in the film uh and it sees uh branner playing william shakespeare after the uh renowned globe mm. theater is burnt to the ground and he ends up having to go home to his family and mend the broken relationships that were sort of left uh, after he went to mm. to work in London, and it just was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. And I love William Shakespeare. You know this, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know it got slated, didn't it? And originally, yes. Uh, I'm not shocked that this is in your top ten. I'm actually shocked that it's only at number. We're on number seven now, aren't we? Mm. I'm slightly shocked that it's not. It's not higher because mm. um, yeah, we'll get on to why. Um, but if you want to listen to the uh, the full review, it was on week 29, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which also starred the fabulous Jeff Lloyd. So if you want to hear what Jeff thought about uh, the Lego Movie 2, uh, take a listen to that. What we'll do is we'll quickly jump on to my number six, because then we can talk about it, because my number six is All Is True. Oh, OK. Um, and, yeah, I, I also thought that it was a fantastic film. It comes in at number six for me. I thought it would be higher for you. I just thought it was brilliant. Like... The, the the language, the cinematography, Kenneth Branagh was superb as always. I mean, it had a really, really powerful cast. Um, obviously, Kenneth Branagh, Judy Dench, Ian McKellen. Uh, McKellen? Yes, I got that right. <laughs> uh, I, I panicked then. An actor of his magnitude, and I nearly got his name wrong. Um, yeah, 75%. It got on Rotten Tomatoes from mm. the audience, and it's now got 71% for the critics. That was lower, actually, when it first came with, out. Yeah. But I think people have reflected on it, and the problem was is you had a lot of snobs, a lot of Shakespearean snobs who like to see Shakespeare in, um, in, you know, in London, in, 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 on the stage as it's meant to be, and they don't like it being on, on film, and people who know a lot about Shakespeare might say this was inaccurate, that was inaccurate. It wasn't supposed to be a really accurate biopic. It was more of a love letter yes. from Kenneth Branagh to the deceased, dead William Shakespeare because Branagh loves Shakespeare. Branagh is Shakespeare. He lives it. He looks Shakespearean even when yeah. he's not acting. Lives and uh, breathes. Yeah, and that's what it was. Yeah. And, and this film actually got me choked up a bit. Yeah. And I don't cry in, in, in films. Um, I can't remember the last time I cried in cinema, but this actually got me really choked up. I thought Kenneth Branagh did a brilliantly b- superb job with it. Um, it was brilliantly cast, wonderfully filmed, uh, and, a, and a real good sort of honour to, to the great William Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, my number six was Us. Uh, this was originally supposed to be reviewed on the Is, on the is It Worth It with, with Zoe, and then mm. we, I brought it out on the other podcast that I was doing, the Cinema Review Show. Mm. Um, so if you want to listen to that, it is on the Cinema Review Show. Just search for it where you get your podcast from, and you'll find it on there. Mm. Um, this was directed by Jordan Peele, and this is obviously his second film. We were all expecting this 
absolute masterpiece. A lot of people walked out of the film thinking mm. that this was a load of tosh. And then, but but it got a lot of people talking. You you left the cinema with more questions and answers. Um, and I, after a second watch, got it. It it just clicked with me. The metaphors and you know the the, the satirical reflection of society of today um was was brilliant and i i i really 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 did enjoy it especially on the second watch um i remember coming out and you not liking this mm. can you add a bit more to why or can you remember anything about i can it? remember it very vividly so the opening 25 minutes I thought we were in for a modern horror masterpiece. Mm. It had a real Hitchcockian feel. Yes. Um, the opening was basically caged rabbits, and it focused in initially on one rabbit, and then the camera slowly draws back with this very eerie soundtrack. And then it was two caged rabbits, then three. Then there were many, many caged rabbits. <laughs> and, and it pulled away, and then it was just a whole wall of caged rabbits. Now, with the eerie soundtrack... It had a very Hitchcockian feel of why the bloody hell are there all these caged rabbits? What is going on? And it and it and it was scary and creepy. And the film started really really well, and then I thought it went completely off the rails with this sort of bizarre attempt at humour that didn't work, a plot twist that was the sort of thing you'd expect from M Night Shyamalan uh, or Shyamalan or Shamulan or however the hell you <laughs> pronounce his name. But it was that kind of ooh, I've done a plot twist. But I'm encouraged by what you said about it needing a second viewing. Mm. Um, I would happily watch it again. Um, cinematically, there's some fantastic stuff. Acting-wise, there's genius, and there's also complete you know, suicidal acting as well. Um, I'm not surprised it's got into your top ten. It wouldn't be in my top ten, but it's certainly a Marmite film, and like you said, you come out with a lot of questions. Yeah. And, it, and if it does that, then really, yeah, it's a good film. Number five, then, David. We are steaming through. On to number five is Stan and Ollie. Ooh. Are you surprised? I'm not surprised. Um, it didn't make it into mine, and I, ha I just hadn't... F it didn't come to me, really, yeah. actually. So we reviewed Stan and Ollie on week 26, uh, 26th of January, so if you do want to listen to it, go back. Uh, it got great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. 85% of the audience liked it, and 93% of the critics... I didn't think I was going to like this film. Uh, I wasn't overly impressed with the trailer, uh, which actually I always say is a good thing. If, if a trailer isn't brilliant, the film is likely to be quite good mm. because they're not giving everything away. Um, Steve Coogan and John C. Riley uh, played our protagonists, and they were both absolutely sensational. Steve Coogan got a BAFTA nomination for Best Actor, which I thought was a bit of a shame for John C. Riley because I thought he was brilliant as well. Uh, it was also nominated for Best British Picture at the BAFTAs, and it was just a really good film. It was very well shot, the script was good, the set pieces that they did where they, um, you know, were Laurel and Hardy, and they had this brilliant bit where I've seen on YouTube of John C. Riley and Steve Coogan dancing the Laurel and Hardy, one of their most famous set pieces, mm. and next to it is the actual original, and it's almost move for move perfect. Um, and I thought they both played their characters really well. And what I liked about the film was it wasn't actually just a film about their careers. It wasn't a film where they were just doing set pieces, you know, basically regurgitating or vomiting up, you know, Laurel and Hardy stuff, because people don't want to see that. If you want to watch Laurel and Hardy, you'll watch the original Laurel and Hardy. This was about their friendship. This was about the stuff that we didn't see on the stage or on the television. Um, and it was really a film about friendship and their struggles to remain friends as the pressures of having to perform got worse and worse and the health pressures of it. Um, brilliant film. One of the best British films of 2019, undoubtedly. Uh, and one of my favourite films of 2019, which is why it comes in at number five. My number five, uh, going on for, for British films then, is Wild Rose, which we reviewed on oh, week 32. Blast. Did you Did you want to have that in there? I really, really did. 
Did you forget about it? I didn't forget about it. It was on. It was in my list, which I narrowed down, and then I think I accidentally deleted it because I'm really <laughs> terrible with using an iPad. Sorry to interrupt, but no, yes, that's what okay. a film. Well, it is on our review on the, of it is on week 32, uh, which was released on March the 28th, 2019. Now, this film got 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it sees a uh, Scottish woman who is fresh out of prison, and she's trying to juggle a, a job and two children whilst also pursuing her, her dream of, of becoming a country music star. Mm. And I, I do love a, a fantastic musical, um, but this, this was... It was a musical in a way, but it used music in a very unique way, maybe mm. more so like Rocket Man, um, or maybe more so like, sorry, like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. rather than Rocket Man. Um, and it worked just amazingly the the performances were were absolutely stunning uh and I, yeah i just absolutely loved it and it comes mm. in at number five for me and and yeah yeah i think we would just move on quickly really i mean wild rose i, I just want to say you're absolutely spot on the acting was brilliant there was some great comedy in there and what i liked about this film it, it was raw it was honest it was true and the music was also brilliant well, yeah, and and the mu- just the fact that that she goes to the BBC uh, to to meet her yeah. idol and and get advice and and things like that it just was 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 great and mm. to have that in there, but I think a lot of people who watch or like country music, it was like oh. Yeah. There he is. I'm yeah. going to reveal who it is because if you haven't seen it, go and watch it, and mm. then you'll know. Yeah. Um, but Jessie Buckley. She's is, very talented. She's very talented, and I think she'll be one to watch over the maybe th- this year or maybe the next year and see what she's got coming out because yeah. she's going to be big. If if she is given the right script and the right direction, she is she's got an Oscar in her, no doubt. Uh, yeah. Wild Rose was a good film. She was in uh, Chernobyl as well, the, the TV miniseries, which was one of the is currently one the of the high, highest rated tv shows on television at it's the, moment. The, the highest now isn't it on yeah. imdb yeah. yeah i haven't seen it it's on my to watch list which is getting longer and longer <laughs> and longer um for me at number four it's a film that wasn't even in my top 10 until about 25 minutes ago when i was surging through my notes also looking back at all the podcasts we've done uh, and it's vice Oh yes, and unfortunately, I can't tell you. Uh, Craig will have a look at what what week that was on. But this was a fantastic film. It was looking at the life of Dick Cheney. Um, Christian Bale gives a stunning performance. I think he should have won the Oscar, but it went to Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, Amy Adams is also in it. Steve Carell, Sam Rockwell, Tyler Perry, and it looks it looks at the life of of Dick Cheney and his relationship with. Um, Vice President George W... Uh, sorry, the President George W. Bush and how he becomes the most powerful Vice President ever in history and he basically abuses the power of the Vice President. He gets a lot of lawyers and solicitors to look through various parts of American history and legality and works out how he can basically be the President but just be the Vice President in title. Um, very, very funny by the same people that brought you... Um, the Big Short. Uh, <laughs> to click there and sing. Uh, the Big Short, which is also a damn good film. But yeah, um, Christian Bale is sensational in this film. Vice is really worth seeing, and it comes in at number four for me. That was on uh, week 27, which was out on February the 2nd. Uh, my number four is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Ooh. Ooh, which was also on February the 2nd, uh, week 27. Uh, and that sees Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant starring mm. in this wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, Melissa McCarthy plays Lee Israel, who is a very frustrated and uh, very hard-drinking author uh, who can barely afford to pay her rent and uh, discovers uh, a, a little way of uh, making some money, uh, which sort of spirals out of control. And uh, <laughs> that's putting it lightly, yeah, yeah. puts it very lightly. Um, and she uh, just ends up recruiting her a dear friend uh, or a very dubious friend to help yeah. her continue this very self destructive uh, um, cycle that she is going through. And uh, this film got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, it did fairly well on the awards, didn't it? I mean, it was nominated for quite a few. Um, Richard E. Grant finally won his award that he was waiting for, it was nominated, wasn't he? Didn't win which was a shame, but he was very excited to be awarded, uh, nominated. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah, so the, um, 
you're right. The, the, the both of them were nominated. Uh, Richard E. Grant for Best Supporting Actor, Melissa McCarthy for Best Actress. Um, neither of them won, but they were. I mean, Richard E. Grant was just delighted to have received an Oscar nomination. Uh, and what I can say is, it's amazing how similar our tastes are, because this flows nicely into my number three, which is, can you ever forgive me? <laughs> um, and yeah, I totally agree with with what you said. It get like you said, it gets a ninety eight percent rating from the critics which which is about as good as it can be really because uh, you're never going to get 100% of critics liking it it was a sensational film Melissa McCarthy um, I said this on uh, week 27 of the podcast so if you want to listen to the full review as Craig said jump back and, and have a listen do more stuff like this turn down the rubbish comedy crap that yes you're good at but we don't need it again and again and again you yeah. are you are a talented actress you proved it here you gave a, a career defining performance Richard E. Grant was also sensational this is another film that choked me up uh, it comes in at number three for me uh, it's amazing how similar mine and Craig's tastes are um, and we, yeah we haven't planned this we didn't know it was going to flow like that uh, it'll be interesting to see if we've got similar ones at number one but yeah can you ever forgive me fantastic film number three for me number three for me was the favorite which uh we reviewed on week 26 uh, which came out on january the 26th 2019 and this uh, earned itself 93 percent on rotten tomatoes and it sees rachel wise emma stone and olivia coleman uh, olivia coleman playing the queen and rachel wise and emma stone vying for the queen's love and affection and uh it's bizarre and it's mm. funny and it's dark and it's brilliant uh Yorgos Lanthimos is the director on this film and uh, he is known for his very quirky directing um and it did incredibly well at uh, the awards uh, uh season and um yeah I think we we both really enjoyed this film yeah, I mean, this didn't even come into my top ten, which is bizarre because Olivia Coleman caused a massive shock at the Oscars mm. by winning Best Actress. Glenn Close, who'd won pretty much every other award for The Wife, was 1-12 to 12 favourite um, to, to win, but actually the favourite uh, beat her with, um, with this Best Actress. It, it didn't make it into my top ten because... It was so... It possibly would have if the ending wasn't so disappointing. It um, did have an ending that was very... Not disruptive, um, what's the underwhelming, word? Underwhelming, abrupt. abrupt. That's it, more the word, The yes. film was starting to really take off, and then it just went... No more. <laughs> Yorgos Lanthimos basically thought, enough is enough. We'll stop it here. That's my impression of Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, but yeah, <laughs> cinematography though. Oh, it was great. That uh, fisheye lens that they used. Yeah, was was brilliant. Like being a fly on the wall. In, yeah, in, very in, clever. Very in very the clever. early eighteenth century. Yeah, fantastic film. Number two for you, Lynn David. So number two for me is a film that I would be very very surprised if it's not in Craig's top ten. A Private War. It's not in my top ten. Oh, what on earth are you playing at? You adored that film. I, I, I did it. I, I do adore that film. Um, Maybe it should have been in my top ten. It probably should have. It is a fantastic film, uh, and it basically looks at the sacrifices of being a journalist in uh, war zones, and Rosamund Pike plays um, uh, a, a real-life lady whose name does um, escape me right now, uh, but a journalist that was in and out of war zones to the point that she was blinded in a war zone and wore an eye patch. I'm sure Craig will look up uh, exactly who the, the name of that... Um, I think it was Mar Marie Colvin? Yes, I think you're right there. Yes. Um, and Rosamund Pike plays Marie Colvin, and she gives a sensational performance. Um, and it and it's shot almost like a documentary. It has a real feeling of a documentary. So you don't actually feel like you're watching a film. You feel like you're watching a real-life documentary about Marie Colvin, who's in and out of the front lines in these conflict zones all around the world. Um, she got hit by a grenade while she was in Sri Lanka, which actually blinded her, which is why she wears the eye patch. Um, and then she, she was very famous for interviewing dictators and certain dictators that wouldn't do interviews with anyone else would actually do interviews with her. Um, Rosamund Pike is brilliant in this film. We saw this in Cineworld, not Hemel Hempstead, somewhere else. And it was quite a, a, a busy screening and 
everyone left in almost silence because they were really struck by this, really moved so by this. blown away by the performances, by yeah. everything that happened. And by and the unfolded. realism, I felt yeah. like this was not a film, it was a documentary. Rosamund Pike was sensational. I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend watching A Private War. I thought it was brilliant and well deserves to be at number two for me. My number two is Destroyer. Ah... Uh. Is that in yours? Uh, well, it no, can't be. Well, well, well it, it, could, be. it could be at number one. I know, I know why you've chosen this, because the cinematography is sensational and the lead performance was brilliant, but it doesn't even get into my top ten, no. Well, this was reviewed by us on week 28, uh, which was February the 11th, 2019, and it, it's earned itself 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I actually think is... Is that critics or audience? That is... I'm not sure, actually. I think that's critics. Mm. Um, so that... I feel like that's actually rather low for this film because I feel like it's Nicole Kidman's finest performance and most different performance like that she's ever given. And mm. she looks weathered. She looks just so not Nicole Kidman. And, Com- and completely overlooked in awards season. When I saw the trailer for this, it, to me it looked like, you know, Nicole Kidman is going to be at the forefront of awards season. Mm. I totally agree. She was brilliant. Well, it. it sees Nicole Kidman playing Erin uh, uh, Bell, who is a young cop who went undercover to infiltrate a gang uh, in the Californian desert, and uh, there, it ends with absolute tragic results. Um, but Bell continues to work as this detective uh, for the LAPD, um, but this feeling of anger and remorse just doesn't seem to leave her, and she's consumed throughout this time by this guilt. Uh, and uh, the film flits between like her past, um, but it has this unbelievable twist at the end that mm. actually I, I didn't see coming at all. And the the whole film just goes full circle and and is just unbelievable uh, especially with the usage of time in the film and mm. how it flits between those it's one of the best that i think i've ever seen because some films that flip between the present and the past and close to being the present but also being the past it, it, quite confusing most films but this yeah. didn't confuse it kept you on on your toes and you have to be alert and you know, it didn't lead you by the hand like a lot of Hollywood films yeah. do. This didn't do that, and that's why it's in at my number two because I really did enjoy it. I really did enjoy the twists, and I just I did think that Nicole Kidman's performance was sensational. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a great film. Um, unfortunately, when you only have ten, uh, you you can't include everything. A bit like a private war for you, but I'm I'm really pleased you included it because um, listeners listening to this thinking, what should I watch if I haven't seen it? You know. That that is destroyer is definitely something you should see. Um, so, should we have a little ad break? Yes, we will. What we will do now is, if you're listening to this, thinking, "Wow, look at all those films that I, I want to see." The best way of seeing all of the films is with a Cineworld Unlimited card. Have a little listen to this advert, and then we will let you know our number one films of 2019 so far. We love the cinema and we're able to see all these movies with Cineworld's Unlimited Card. See any film, any time, as many times as you like. Being an Unlimited Card holder gives you access to all the 2D films you can handle for one monthly price. Be the first to see a movie with special Unlimited member advanced screenings and secret screenings. Save on snacks and drinks in the cinema with 10% off in your first year and 25 in your second. Enjoy 25% off food and drink at partner restaurants, which includes Yo Sushi, Cafe Rouge, Bella Italia, La Iguana, La Tasca and Belgo. All for the monthly price of just £18.40. Apply today using the code ISITWORTHIT, all one word, to get £10 off your first month with Cineworld Unlimited. Welcome back. Uh, So that was the ad for the Cineworld Unlimited card, which is 100% worth it uh, so we're now into the end game uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little plug there for marvel well done craig as, yeah. if, as if they needed more advertising more money as well more uh, of tom's chili <laughs> so number one then david i think you're gonna hit that one first i am indeed um maybe a little drum roll in the background i don't know if craig has some special effects he can insert now Brrr, there's the drum roll <laughs> so for me at number one it is boy erased uh this is a film that i absolutely adored i adored everything about it from the soundtrack which i've since downloaded and listened to quite often from everything from the trailer to the poster to the film itself 
Um, it was on week 29 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast, which also starred Jeff Lloyd. Um, it came out on the 8th of February 2019. The critics gave it a 81% score, uh, and the audience gave it a 73% score. And you're probably thinking, what is this film about? Well, Boy Erased tells the story of Jared. Uh, he's the son of a Baptist pastor in a small American town um, who basically comes out as... Um, as gay to his parents. He's probably about 18, 19. Uh, he's played by the fabulous Lucas Hedges. His father is played by Russell Crowe, who plays this really strict uh, American Baptist uh, pastor. His mum is played by Nicole Kidman. And I think it's just a great film. The The parents give him an ultimatum. They basically say, you have to choose to be not gay <laughs> and we will stand by you and love you and this is more the father than the mum or you can go to conversion therapy um, become ungay, and then you can come back and we can carry on with our lives and Russell Crowe plays this Baptist pastor brilliantly um, and Nicole Kidman plays the mum brilliantly originally she's devastated but as the film progresses she comes around more to the fact of realising that her son is who he is and he was born this way and it's not something that he's chosen to do um, because in that kind of environment, you certainly wouldn't. Um, and it's a great film, and i tell you why I love it. I, I'm a Christian myself. I go to church every Sunday, and I was thinking there's a real potential for, for this film to be very preachy and very, you know, being gay is acceptable, and the church's attitude or certain church's attitude to it is unacceptable, and conversion therapy is wrong. And all of those things I've just said are, 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 are true that you know there's nothing wrong with being gay it's certainly not a choice it's the way people are born conversion therapy I would suggest even as a Christian is wrong um, but the film didn't preach it just gave you the facts it just laid it out and we were again almost like a fly in the wall seeing this man come of age come to accept who he was and then the struggle for his parents to accept him for who he was and what that meant for their faith and i just thought it was a sensational film with a gorgeous soundtrack joel edgerton also stars in the film but he directed it and it is a sensational piece of direction from him russell crowe is brilliant nicole kidman is brilliant lucas hedges is brilliant the soundtrack is a masterpiece and it was uh, even as you know a, a Christian, and it obviously challenged me with elements of the Christian faith um, and and what it teaches, or or how people perceive what it teaches. It was challenging, but it wasn't preachy. It was a masterpiece, and in my opinion, Boy Raised is the best film to come out on in 2019 so far. You know what it it sort of has vanished past me for some reason and it's definitely a worthy one to be in the mm. top 10 and I'm glad it's in your top 10 uh, despite the fact that it is not in mine mm. so my number one now is... I don't I don't know what this is and I'm worried <laughs> you're worried okay. I've got an idea well it's border oh oh no well, you say, oh, <laughs> oh no. He's had an absolute nightmare. No, I, no, I haven't. Oh, and dear. Craig's been working a lot recently. He's he's hallucinating. He's had a mental breakdown. I would like no, to... No, I I would like to apologise to our listeners on behalf of Is It Worth It, the Film Review Podcast. Craig has got this totally wrong. No, he I haven't. He is a buffoon of the highest order. First of all, this isn't a top ten... Uh, you know, it has to be a right or wrong, a right answer. There is no right or wrong answer to this. Uh, well, and in here. my opinion, Border was, is an absolutely am amazing film. It got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. We reviewed it on March the 22nd, 2019, for week 31. Mm. And it sees Tina, who plays this customs officer, um, who is known at her place of work for this extraordinary sense of smell. And uh, it's almost like she can smell the guilt on people. Mm who are, are, are hiding something. Um, and she sort of stumbles upon somebody called Vore, who is a very suspicious-looking man, and uh, she can smell something, but her abilities are challenged uh, for the first time ever. Mm. And as the film progresses, um, she starts to have this self-awareness of who she is and this humanization of mm. of who she is and who who he is as well and it's a very it uses this nordic fairy tale or folk tale to mm. use this as a plot device to really give you a connection with 
who these people are and who you are and how you know you can relate to who these characters are and it it, it does have a very 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 strange twist and i won't reveal it because if you are going to watch it it's quite a big plot discovery to be honest with you mm. um but it focuses a lot on like transgressions and and taboos and you know friendship and living on the edges of society that and, is true and those subjects and themes you don't tend to see in films and it's a very challenging subject and the way they've used this nordic folktale to be able to tell these this these uh, um uh, themes in in a film i thought were fantastic i thought yeah. the, the makeup and hair department and prosthetics and oh, all those yeah, sort of things were super. absolutely incredible and i thought the acting within the film was incredible it is a foreign language film and it is not going to appeal to a lot of people it is a mm. real real marmite film but i thought cinematically i thought story wise i thought directing and acting i thought they all came together in this film and i thought it really presented uh, a, a brilliant mm. piece of cinema and that's what it's all about it's, te- it's about telling a story using different methods and not trying to be conventional and you know to to be a conventional director in this world is, uh, you know it's so easy to make mm. a movie that's going to make a lot of money and you know they've clearly gone in and told a film that not with the intentions of telling a story and really get connecting with people and um, maybe freaking some people out because it is dark as well and it is well, that's one way of putting it. horrible in some instances and it mm. is shocking and it is beautiful all at the same time. I mean, I have to congratulate you because that was a thoroughly good argument. I mean, there is no doubt that this is one of the most bizarre pieces of film I've ever seen. And I'm not just saying that, you know, like since I've seen, since I've been doing this podcast a year and a half or however long it's been, it's one of the most bizarre pieces of cinema I've ever seen in my life. It is totally mad. It's not in my top ten because it it's the closest I've ever come to vomiting in a cinema. <laughs> um, because this is so strange and so bizarre. But like you say, the acting is is incredible. Um, it's a film that will that will stay with you for the rest of your life. Whether you think that's a good or a bad thing, it, it will do that. It's very risky, it's dangerous. Like you said, the way it touches... What I loved when you said about how it focuses on the people of the edge of society, the whole film is almost a metaphor for many other things. I think, personally, I'm... I'm I'm not shocked it's in your top ten because I was expecting it. I'm I am baffled it's 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 your best film of 2019. I c- so far, let's be yeah, so far. That. But I cannot but- believe that if if an alien landed on Earth, uh, I mean he'd probably go, "What what on the hell have you done to the planet?" But that's a different story. And he came up to you and was like, "Mr. Fields, I have heard of many movies." But what is the is, one? What this is? Stop interrupting no, 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 me! No, no, no. This isn't, this isn't uh, our top ten of films of all time. This is our top ten films of 2019 so yeah, far. Yeah, I know. But and this, this, but this film, particular alien has landed on Earth with the purpose of watching, watching his fil- films from 2019. Yeah, he just wants. So far. Yeah, he's seen everything else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> on his planet, they've seen them all. Well, then I'm going to say, yeah, watch Border because I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's a film in 2019 that challenges the conventional cinematic film and it 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 really does hit home mm. in terms of identity because people I mean, don't the alien know might identify with it he might do because he is living on the edge of society i mean he's going to live on the edge of society if he's come to earth because he's an alien yeah and that's how these people <laughs> feel in this film as well though yeah i mean look to me i think you've got it wrong but that's why i love this podcast that's why i love film because it divides opinions craig has set out a thoroughly good argument um i would love people to watch this film and then if you don't enjoy it please harass craig via email (laughs) okay (laughs) why well because i you're literally recommending this is the best film of 2019 i just don't think it is but like i said i love the fact we disagree I mean, I'm not saying it's the best film of 2019. What I'm saying is it's my top favourite film of okay. 2019. And, and, and uh, for all the reasons that I just yeah, laid out. no, that's fair enough. So? So that's it. Should we do our, 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 well, your rundown first? Yes, so what we'll do now is here are our top ten films so far of 2019. And before I do my top ten, I just want to make an honorary mention for Wild Rose. So that didn't make it into my top ten. 
um, but I do want to encourage people to watch it. It was a brilliant film. And also, I want to encourage people to watch all ten films that I'm about to announce. If you haven't seen them, these are my favourite films of 2019 so far. At ten, it's Lion King. Nine, Captain Marvel. Eight, On the Basis of Sex. Seven, Midsummer. Six, All is True. Five, Stan and Ollie. Four, Vice, three, Can You Ever Forgive Me, two, A Private War, and at number one, my favourite film of the year so far, The Fabulous Boy Erased. And for me, I have some honorary mentions as well. I've got Private War, Midsummer, Apollo 11, and The Kindergarten yep. Teacher, so they're mm. all fabulous films that are on the fringes of making their way into my top ten. Oh, and Beats as well, can't forget Beats. Um, so, top ten, there we go. Num- at number ten, we have Booksmart, nine, Longshot, eight, eighth grade, seven, All is True, six, Us, five, Wild Rose, four, Can You Ever Forgive Me, three, The Favourite, two, Destroyer, and at number one, the very divided <laughs> film of the year for me, uh, Border. So thank you very much for listening to this bonus episode of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Uh, We'll be back very shortly with season three of the podcast. Uh, And David, uh, you want people to get in touch with us, don't you? Yes, look, this podcast, it's coming back. We want more people to listen. We want more people to get involved. And there's many ways of getting involved. You can get involved with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And you can also email us. Mr. Fields, what is the email address? The email address is mymailisworthit at isitworthit.com podcast.com and we want all of your correspondence to come into that email address in relation to the films that you are going to see and if you are the alien that visited Craig and is now going back to his home planet with Border to recommend please also email us uh, at said email address and tell us what you thought of the film and yeah in terms of Twitter you can you can find us at, you know is it worth it just punch that in on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram I think it's at film is worth it at film is worth it is that on Twitter and in Instagrammery? It might be. I can't, I can't quite remember. And as always, swipe right for me on Tinder and Bumble. You're um, on both now. I'm, I am, yeah. Is it working? No. <laughs> it's definitely not worth it. But look, it's great to be back, Craig. I've had really good fun uh, recording with you this evening. Uh, just want to encourage everyone to like the, like the podcast, share the podcast, tell everyone about it. And we really do look forward to being back very very soon to let you know what is worth seeing in the cinema